This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 12, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Imagine a government that simply seizes control of media outlets and cripples dissent by threatening the media that don't go along with the government's official line. This is reality in Ecuador, where President Rafael Correa directly controls a growing number of media outlets and threatens others on a regular basis. Gabriela Calderon, editor of ElCato.org, comments. Who is Rafael Correa and uh, when did he take office? Well, Rafael Correa is the Ecuadorian president. He came into power in uh, January of 2007. And, you know, this January would be four years. Normally, an Ecuadorian uh, term in office would be four years, but since we have a new constitution, we had to have new elections in 2009, so he started a, a brand new term in 2009. Okay, now the, now the constitutional issues in Ecuador are their own story, but uh, let's talk about what has happened to the media landscape in Ecuador. People, I think, in the United States are fairly familiar with uh, – the uh, Hugo Chavez going on television in Venezuela with the with the uh, grassy background that he has and going on the air for hours upon hours upon hours on all broadcast uh, outlets. What has Rafael Correa done in his time as president uh, with the media? Well, the most surprising thing is how the media landscape has changed. Uh, in 2006, uh, before Correa came to power, the Ecuadorian state had one national radio station. That was it. The, the state didn't own any other uh, means of communication. But in um, 2007, when uh, Correa's government began, uh, things changed. You know, they started changing a little bit. But just to sum up things, in 2010, by the end of 2010, the Ecuadorian state had 20 national media outlets, including two uh, national network television channels and also two national newspapers. So the situation has changed a lot. Also, you have to take into account that the remaining privately owned channels, they no longer, most of them no longer have opinion sections in their programming. It's like the entire debate of policy in our country has been obliterated from TV. And that is because? It's a pretty obvious persecution of the people that uh, were behind these shows and also with the anchors at these shows. Uh, there were, uh, the literal translation is national chains. And what these are is uh, mandatory uh, mandatory uh, messages that the TV channels are, like I said, it's, obli- it's an obligation for them to broadcast them. And these are messages from the presidency or from other uh, ministries, and most of the times when there was a critical anchor at one of these opinion shows, he, would imme- he or she would immediately get a personal attack in one of these nationally broadcast messages. And these were broadcast during his or her show. So the executive would, I mean, it still does. The executive in our country has the power to interrupt your show and personally attack you. And this happened with uh, three people that uh, hosted these shows. These three people are no longer hosting these shows because of the pressure that was uh, exercised over the owners of the channels. And so now we only have two opinion shows. And most of the times they host uh, government 
guests. So the the diversity of opinion and the degree of debate that we have in the in the you know the popular media has been greatly reduced. How has uh, Korea been more effective at taking control of media outlets than someone like Hugo Chavez? He has been much more sophisticated, and I believe a little bit more. Uh, much more smarter, definitely, because he has used laws that were already in place before he came to power. Uh, the Ecuadorian uh, communication law, it was drafted during the military dictatorship, one of the military dictatorships in the 70s. And it has been there, and it's very repressive, and it, it's it really hampers uh, freedom of the press. However, most of the g- democratic governments we've had during the past 30 years ignored most of its provisions. And then came Correa, and he has taken advantage of, of those rules that were already established. He's also taken advantage of the fact that uh, most people are okay with violations of due process. And that's how he took over uh, one cable channel and one national network channel in uh, 2007. Uh, he took over uh, channels owned by the Isaias family, arguing that they owed money to the state from uh, back from 1999 when we had a financial crisis. This has yet to be proved in court, and it was the whole process of going to court and deciding that was ignored. He just sent military uh, in the middle of the night to take over these channels. Back then, the government promised that they were going to be sold back to private hands, but we're still waiting, and the channels are still in the hands of the state. And this is a really smart way of doing it because people never stop watching their favorite shows. People never stop watching their soccer games because if you compare these to what happened with RCTV in Venezuela, people did stop watching their favorite shows. And, you know, they felt like somebody yanked the cable and took away took something away from them. But here, they never lost their favorite shows. The only thing that changed is the editorial line of the main news hour and, and the commentary shows disappeared or they are commenting uh, with an opinion that's completely compliant with the government. So this is a much more smarter way of doing it. It would be like Obama taking over Fox without any judicial process giving him the right to take it over and like him changing everything but the I mean changing the news hour and leaving all the most popular shows in the air. So it's a much smarter way. Also uh when he wanted to to try to pressure Teleamazonas, which is one of the few remaining uh, independent channels, he did two things. Uh, first, he used the previous law to pressure the channel, and the previous law allows for a, a regulatory body to say that you know uh, channels cannot air images that uh, incite violence, and so Teleamazonas aired an image of a bullfight, which. Most channels in Ecuador have done because bullfighting is, a, is part of our culture. And so when Teleamazonas aired this, uh, it was a cause to, make, to order the channel to get, out, get off the air for three days. And that's what happened around Christmas Eve last year. I'm sorry, in 2009. And then the other thing with Teleamazonas is that our new constitution, which came into place in 2008... Uh, calls in Article 312 for the mandatory sale of all the media outlets that are owned right now, uh, right now or up, up to October 2010 by people that have shares or ownership stakes in the banking industry. And that affected the ownership of a lot of media outlets. 
and there was pressure from the government to authorize these sales because the sales had to be accepted or denied by the government authorities. So all this has like revolutionized our media landscape. And right now there's a lot of self-censorship going on. Americans are very concerned about censorship, but the way that Korea has gone about doing it uh, seems a lot more subtle. And um, I guess that offers a lesson to Americans when it comes to the, the ways in which freedom of speech actually can be threatened. Yes. I mean, a lot of people outside of Ecuador are aware of the threats to freedom of the press in Venezuela. However, I think it's more interesting, uh, not only because I'm an Ecuadorian, but I think it's more interesting to study a case like ours because it teaches a lesson about how uh, not being as drastic or dramatic as Mr. Chavez, you can manage to silence most of the independent voices in the media without having the international community say anything critical about it. Gabriela Calderon is editor of ElCanto.org. You can follow the struggle for free speech at ElCanto.org and Cato.org. <laughs>